Welcome to the Uncork Corner Podcast. My name's Nick, here as always with my co-host Bianca, and we have Keith, well, being welcome to the podcast here from Medusa <laughs> Brewing out in uh, Hudson, Mass. So, Keith, let's start by getting a bit of an intro for you and uh, what you do at the brewery. Sure. Uh, my name is Keith Antle. Uh, I'm one of two Keiths that uh, run Medusa Brewing, <laughs> uh, We, and um, I am the co-owner, uh, head brewer, um, I think I'm the president and the chief operations officer, various other things, janitor sometimes. Um, so I kind of kind of do everything that it, there is to do with production side uh, of the business. And, you know, my partners uh, kind of deal with more of the business and marketing aspects of the brewery. And I just try to worry about making the beer. Absolutely. And Bianca and I got to visit the other day. So if you're ever out in the area, you want to take a drive out there, absolutely check it out. Brewery's awesome. And then you also have the second location. We can get into that in a little bit. But before we get into all that in the actual brewery, let's talk about your background in brewing, how you got started and sort of how it led to Medusa. Yeah, sure. Like a lot of um, kind of relatively newer breweries, uh, my brewing background is in home brewing. Um, something I started, uh, I guess it would be close to 18 years ago now, which seems like a really long time. <laughs> um, and I really just got into home brewing because a lot of beer styles that I was fond of were uh, European styles. And a lot of times those didn't make it to the United States in the best shape. Um, they would spend, you know, weeks and maybe months in container ships, uh, you know, getting kind of cooked. And uh, by the time they were on a store shelf, they weren't always in the best shape. But anytime I had an opportunity to try like a, a real English bitter or some German Pilsner or something like that, it was, it was always really good. So it seemed like the best way to, to get my hands on something like that was to learn how to make it myself. Uh, so that's, that's kind of what I did. And I, and I homebrewed for close to 10 years or so uh, until the opportunity to get Medusa going uh, came about. What was the first beer that you ever decided to try at home? And was it successful? Mm, uh, I think the first beer I brewed at home was an Irish Red, um, which is a really just kind of arbitrary decision. It was just, a, you know, a, a, literally a, a homebrew kit, you know, and it turned out all right for, for an extract uh, beer. Um, it wasn't, wasn't too shabby. Um, I gave up on extract really quick. I think I did about five or six batches before switching to all grain brewing which is uh, a lot more laborious but gives you much nicer results and uh kind of never went back from there got it absolutely and that's a that's a great <laughs> style and you definitely nailed it i know when we were in person the other day the esb that i had was mm -hmm. one of my favorite beers that we had there that was excellent and then the irish stout as well so when you're talking about some of those european beers and those styles that you're really fond of i absolutely uh got that coming out of the beers here and i'm drinking lola so the Lola IPA today, which is a, a four and a half percent IPA that we have here. And it's absolutely delicious and super crushable. It's one of those nice. IPAs that you drink it. It's, you know, super crisp. And I feel like I could have a few of these without feeling mm. too gross. Sometimes with the IPAs, you know, they can be really strong and heavy. This one's definitely more of a drinkable, like many sessionable IPAs. Uh, I think the term that people throw around there, but absolutely delicious. Nice. Yeah, Lola is a uh, was a, one of our core brands, and we we've kind of pulled it back more into a rotational uh, status. Um, it's kind of tricky, 
you know, the, the market, you know, it, it varies a lot. It, all of a sudden, imperial IPAs, really strong IPAs will be in vogue. And then all of a sudden, people kind of go in the other direction. They want these like sort of sessionable, you know, four and a halfs. And right now, it seems like things are settling back more somewhere in the middle. So we've, uh, we've reintroduced Laser Kitten uh, as a kind of a mid-strength IPA and kind of rolled Lola back into more of a, a seasonal brand. Um, something that we'll bring out from time to time because there's definitely still an audience for something that isn't going to get you too hammered too quickly. You can just kind of enjoy over the course of a day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to talking a little bit more about seasonable beer, seasonal beers, what beers do you have out in the rotation right now sort of for this time of year that are really you know being showcased right now? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, it's St. Patrick's Day uh, month. So of course, uh, Irish red. We have a, we have kind of a two Irish style beers. We do an Irish red called County Hell and a Irish stout called Wake of the Medusa. Uh, we bring, we kind of bring those out uh, every year around this time. And then you always have to be thinking ahead. So, um, you know, of course, Cinco de Mayo is uh, not that far off and lagers take a little bit longer to make. So we are getting our Mexican style lager into the tank uh, next week. That's a, a beer called Almost that we um, we brew uh, just kind of late spring, mid spring throughout the summer uh, every year, and it's a it's a real enjoyable kind of light, kind of classic uh, version of a Mexican style lager. That sounds great, and you have a a really wide variety of different beer styles and flavors. What, from your experience, is the most challenging? type of beer to actually work with as a brewer i think you know we people don't see what goes into everything behind the scenes and of course there's a lot of little complexities that people don't know about and we got to see the tanks and all that yeast foaming and it's just mm. things that you don't <laughs> even ever get to experience so tell us a little bit about the most challenging type of beer that you work with and uh and what that process looks like yeah i think you know you'll, you'll find a lot of people probably agree with this but um the simpler lighter beers like pilsners and things like that are, are, are really the most challenging to make well uh, because you, there's no place to hide your mistakes um, you know you can you can make a, a base fermentation of like an ipa but then you just you, you dry hop the heck out of it and the hops just completely take over and that's really what you're tasting so there, there's a lot of margin for error in something like an ipa or a double ipa um, but when you're dealing with pilsners and uh, we make a beer called luminary, which is a, like an American style cream ale, it's a very light, very mellow beer. And you really, if any little thing in the fermentation is off, it's just going to jump right out at the drinker and, and just not, um, just not be good. So you can't really, uh, can't really make mistakes on those, those light ones. <laughs> and I know when it comes to some of those light ones, like Pilsner, you named, you've had some pretty good success specifically with Duchovny, for example. So talk to us a little bit about that when it comes to some of the awards that you've gotten on your beers and your experience at those different award ceremonies. Yeah, Duchovny uh, so is a, a Czech style or Bohemian style Pilsner. Um, and you know those are kind of distinguished by being maybe a little little drier, a little bit hoppier, a little bit more bitter, a little more crisp. I guess, than a, kind of a German style. Um, and it's a style I've always really enjoyed. And uh, we, we, we brewed Duchovny a little bit and we decided to enter it in the 
Great American Beer Festival, which is the, the largest beer competition, professional beer competition in the world. Uh, it's run by the Brewers Association, and it is operated every two years alongside the Craft Brewers Conference uh, that they put on. And we entered that one, and we were fortunate enough to receive the, the gold medal for it uh, several years back. And uh, it was great. <laughs> it was really unexpected. You're up against usually dozens and dozens, sometimes hundreds of other beers just in your category. So it's really difficult to, to thread the needle and, and get noticed by judges because most of those beers are probably really good. <laughs> um, I, you know, probably half of those beers, you know, depending on uh, the judge could, could easily meddle. Um, and so it's nice to kind of sneak one through there and, and get some recognition for it. And it's been great for us. And, and Duchovny has since become a, a core brand of ours that we brew year round. And you were saying there's a whole process involved with uh, entering these uh, different, you know, contests and these brewers, you know, you all come together and everyone has different, but somewhat similar styles. So it's obviously extremely challenging. Um, what has, and we talked about this a little bit in person. So I'm thinking mm -hmm. kind of based on our original conversation, um, what, what do you think? I, I know you said you might enter some in the future, but what do you think of the um, getting involved in more of those competitions? Yeah, we definitely would like to get back to it. Um, it it's sort of we kind of fell out of it with the, the pandemic and everything going on. Uh, famously, the uh, Craft Brewers Conference uh, was canceled uh, at the onset of the pandemic, and uh, a lot of folks had you know beer in transit to competition. And uh, as I told you, uh, all of our competition beer was turned into hand sanitizer. <laughs> so. Um, so not optimal. It's a lot of it's kind of a lot, a lot of work packing all this stuff and shipping it out and getting it ready. So um, you know that that can be disappointing to not get your chance, uh, you know, at a medal. But certainly understandable with everything going on. And at least they were able to do something useful with all this uh, extra beer kicking around. But um, you know, as we kind of come out the other end of all that, we're certainly interested in in getting back into it. Whether it's the Great Great American Beer Festival. Um, competition or the uh, craft brewers conference slash um, world beer cup. So um, yeah, we're just going to get back to it. Um, it's really kind of like something you do like once a year. Um, these are huge judging undertakings. So it takes a lot of um, time and effort for the, for the BA to get their judges together and from all over the country and get them all in one room and get them to try a ton of beer. <laughs> And how much time do you spend deciding which beers you want to submit for this or, you know, determining what beers or if you brew any specifically for the purpose of sending mm. to be judged? Yeah, there's a lot of like little tactics for things like that. So, you know, IPAs in particular um, have a really strong freshness component to them. So, uh, you know, the hops are just going to be much more vibrant if the beer is relatively um, fresh and recently packaged. So certainly if you're planning on submitting one of those, you need to time it appropriately. Um, I know a lot of breweries um, have done little things like if they're brewing a batch that they know is going to competition, they might kind of, they might kind of add a little more dry hop than they, they might normally just hoping that it's got a little more oomph by the time it reaches a judge. Um, that's a, that's an old, you know, homebrew competition trick too. Um, just kind of, 
figure out, well, if I'm sending this in and but nobody's going to actually crack this bottle or can for three, four weeks, you know, it's already going to have a little bit of age on it. So I might have to, you know, kind of grease that cog a little bit more and, and make that beer stand out uh, than if it just was the normal version sitting on a shelf. You're trying to present that beer in the best possible state, um, like it would be if somebody bought it fresh at the brewery. So little, little, little things like that. Um, and certainly some styles are, you know, IPA is going to be hyper competitive, uh, and there's going to be a lot of judges, uh, judging them and a lot of palate fatigue. And, um, it can be hard to distinguish yourself in a category like that. Whereas if you do something like Bohemian Pilsner, you're going to have a smaller field and you might have an opportunity to, to get, uh, some appreciation. And it must be different going from starting home brewing, right? Where it's kind of a hobby at first and something that you get really excited about to doing this full time. Are you still making small batches for yourself at home or are you just completely working full time going home and saying, I'm just going to drink beer here and uh, not do anything, <laughs> anything else at the house? <laughs> yeah, I think what the thing that you learn is that um, it takes, apart from some equipment issues uh it takes about the same amount of time to make beer whether you're making it five gallons at a time or five thousand gallons at a time you know you still need to boil you know things for a set amount of time and you still need to ferment them at the same amount of time so there's it, there's not a lot of variation in you know homebrew scale versus um, professional scale um, so when you realize that i can spend all that time to make you know uh, many hundreds of gallons of beer or I can make five gallons of beer. You kind of start calculating what your actual time is worth and what the end result is. And we, we're very comfortable with our, our system now and we very freely, you know, it's a seven barrel system, so it's not massive, um, but we can really freely just kind of pilot anything that, that springs to mind at the seven barrel scale and feel pretty comfortable that we're gonna get, uh, you know, a palatable result. We've had really hardly ever any experimental batches that we were like yeah this just didn't work and you know we're gonna dump it that really never happens it's we usually get something maybe it might take a second try to kind of really nail it and, and get to where we want it to be but um it's a it's a good size to to be brewing at i mean a brewery that is doing 60 barrel turns you know they've got a different you know economy of scale to think about and you'll see a lot of those places might start implementing like a, a small pilot system so they can kind of safely experiment before committing, you know, a hundred, hundred barrels of, of, of beer to a recipe that they've never done before. So. Yeah, absolutely. I imagine at some point you have to worry about what you're going to do with all that extra. If you make a huge amount, are there mm -hmm. any pilots that you have going right now or that are in the tap room that you're super excited about? Um, we've got a, a new beer that, that just, um, hit the tap room, which is a, a beer called the prestige, um, which is a, uh, hazy IPA, uh, with grapefruit. Um, and we had to, um, kind of play around a little bit and figure out, you know, how much grapefruit to use to try to get it to come through without being, you know, just kind of overly, we still, we still like to make beer. We want beer to taste like beer, um, and not, you know, kind of abundantly fruit flavored or, you know, uh, we just, at the, at the end of the day, we're, we're a brewery and we're, we're making, you know, uh, fruit flavored beer, not beer flavored fruit, I guess. <laughs> uh, so the prestige is a, an interesting one. So we, we, we wanted to do something with the hazy IPA style with fruit 
And um, we just launched that really not long ago. I think we might have tapped it last week for the first time. Um, and this is a pilot beer that we did at seven barrels that will be going into a production size batch of 60 barrels uh, a little later on. A couple of weeks, I think we're going to get that batch going. And that would be a beer that you'd be seeing in stores uh, kind of throughout Massachusetts and a couple of our, our other distributed states. Got it. And I believe that's one of the ones that we actually got to try in mm -hmm. person. I think Bianca really took a liking to that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that one really jumped out at her. So we'll absolutely be looking for that one when it's out on the shelves. Now to talk a little bit more about the uh, tap room, I know you have two locations. We got to visit both. There's the actual Medusa Brewery tap room, and then you have mm -hmm. the restaurant over at Wild Hair. Talk to us a little bit more in our audience, just about the two locations, what they're all about, and you know who yeah. might you know go to both. Yeah, for sure. Um, as, as you saw, they have kind of different vibes to them. Um, so the original tap room, which we opened uh, about eight years ago, um, we kind of describe as a, a little uh, more mellow. It's kind of a, it's got a real old school kind of New England bar vibe to it, you know, kind of dark, little, little cozy, long, long bar, lots of bar seats. Uh, we keep it kind of relaxed in there. Um, and that's where, you know, we have anywhere between maybe 15 and 20 beers on tap at any given time. Most of our retail products are available for purchase there as well. And, uh, and we also have a, a kind of a partner business called Taco Gato um, providing food. And uh, Wild Hair is something we opened up about a year ago, um, which is just around the corner from our main tap room. And that has uh, kind of a, a weird vibe to it where it kind of starts off the day as a cafe and a bakery and kind of a breakfast and lunch kind of brunch sort of spot. And then um, as we get closer to evening, when we do dinner service, it becomes a little more of a kind of a gastronomical experience, like kind of more, um, you know, sort of upscale, interesting kind of culinary uh food <laughs> so to speak it's a you know it, it, it's a different approach it's something new for us that we haven't really gotten into um, we used to tell people years ago that the reason we didn't have a kitchen was because we felt that we were a brewery and not restaurateurs uh per se but you know as time goes on and you get comfortable with your core business there's you see opportunities to branch out a little bit people seem more interested in the dining component that goes along with the brewery component now whereas um, you know, five or six, seven years ago, people were pretty content to like sit at a picnic table in the middle of like an industrial space, like drinking beer, you know, just, you know, in a corrugated steel building somewhere, you know, and that's, that was fine to have as a tap room. Um, but I think as time goes on, people expect maybe a little more ambiance and vibe to the places that they go. And maybe they don't want to just, you know, walk in with a pizza that they brought in from somewhere else. They actually are looking to you know, eat something on site and see what you can do. Absolutely. And some of that food definitely lends itself to different types of beers. And I know you have a different brewing strategy that you have going on there. We got to check out an extra space with some different barrel aging and things like that. Talk mm -hmm. to us about that and what you have going on in those barrels. Yeah, for sure. Um, Wild Hair, um, so uh, has a lot of barrel aging space. We've got um, seven, uh, sorry, six um, 15 barrel oak fooders. So just giant uh, oak barrels uh, built for us uh, by um, Fooder Crafters. Um, great, great company that pretty much just specializes in these, you know, wood aging vessels. And then we have uh, an array of wine and spirits barrels um, that we, we do smaller uh, runs of conditioning. 
we've done uh, beers in, so Bad Omen, for example, which is a kind of a fruited Belgian beer that we brew a lot at our main tap room. Uh, there's a version of that at Wild here that's been aged for several months in Chardonnay barrels, which um, you know, just kind of changes the character of the beer uh, kind of kind of substantially um, if you have them side by side. So it's, it's quite interesting to do that to a tried and true recipe. Uh, and then we have other beers that are really only exist as kind of wood aged, barrel aged sort of beers. Um, Oak Wright is a, kind of a, a stock beer that we keep at Wild Hair. It's a like a, a fooder aged, oak aged Pilsner. Um, it's very kind of relatively briefly aged in oak, but it picks up some nice um, mellow, smooth uh, character. Some people describe it um, as almost having like a like a subtle cotton candy note in the background um, that you kind of pick up off of the, all this American oak. Um, and then of course you've got to do your your bourbon barrel imperial stouts if you're going to do barrel aging that's uh that's kind of a given so we we uh we did some of our imperial stout archaism in uh willet bourbon barrels and uh we're going to be embarking on another bourbon barrel stout soon uh using basil hayden uh barrels which we're looking forward to as well yeah everything i've never really seen uh such it's two such different setups. I think it was really cool to be able to see one and then the other. And for me and Nick, it's we're always learning and, you know, we're not the experts. We're just here to interview the experts and we love learning about everything. Um, so it's really cool to be able to see both and kind of learn about the different processes. And I think it's awesome how, you know, beer, wine and spirits, really all three seem to cross one another. And I think a lot of times you'll see collaborative um, drinks with one and the other. You'll see, you know, wines that are, made in bourbon barrels and you'll see beers that are made with wines and you'll see like all this crossover. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a really cool thing about this industry that we love to, um, we love to like learn about what people are working on because there's always something new coming out. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and inter interbrewery collaborations are kind of nonstop these days. Um, so we, we've done uh, numerous ones um, with places like uh, Amory's Tomb, which is just kind of next door to us in, in Maynard, Mass. We love working with them, especially on anything uh, kind of European bent. That's kind of a thing that they like to get into as well. Um, we did a, a great IPA collaboration with Foundation up in, uh, in Maine. Um, we've, we've done some beers with them from time to time. And um, yeah, we just, we just kind of keep cranking away at those. It's just fun to kind of interact with some of our colleagues. You know, the brewing industry is a, a very friendly industry considering that we are all technically in competition with one another and we're fighting for shelf space and we're fighting for, for tap handles and bars. But not many of us really seem to have much of an appetite to get kind of nasty about it. So everyone's pretty friendly and we, we help each other out a lot with, you know, if you're, you're short on an ingredient unexpectedly, usually somebody's gonna gonna be there to, to kind of give you a hand. Um, and the collabs are, are, are always fun. So looking forward to hopefully getting some more of those off the ground. Absolutely. And that's definitely something that we've noticed as well. We haven't really uh, run into two rival breweries or anything like that that seem to really target each other in ads or anything like that. It seems very mm. friendly. Uh, talk to us a little bit more about the uh, core lineup. So what are the beers that you have that are always out on rotation that people can go and expect to find at their local stores or you know, even the big box stores? 
Yeah, sure. Um, so the, 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 we have four core beers that are, are really just made year round and you should be able to find in most, um, you know, kind of certainly in Massachusetts, I think most beer stores probably have some of these at least grocery stores, things like that. Um, but laser cat is by far kind of the flagship brand laser cats, a 8% Imperial IPA, um, and it is uh, just kind of a, a slightly older school. It's, a, it's not a hazy IPA. It's a, it's a little more retro than that. Made with a ton of citra hops. So it's got a really just kind of nice fruity, citrusy, tropical kind of character to it. Uh, we also use Nugget, which gives it a little bit of a, a kind of an older school, earthier kind of backbone to it. But for the most part, it's a real dry, drinkable, drinkable for 8% <laughs> alcohol anyway. Um, and we've been brewing that one for, for several years now. Um, and it's, it's always kind of just been like that most popular beer that people seem to come back to a lot. So that, that's definitely the one, uh, you're going to see most, most often, uh, we do a, a hazy IPA called light runner that's, um, uh, brewed year round as well. Uh, Duchovny, the Czech style Pilsner, of course, we mentioned that earlier, and then also, as I mentioned, um, Lola has sort of uh, taken a step out of the core annual kind of lineup and has been replaced with Laser Kitten, which is a kind of a lighter, I guess, a version of Laser Cat. Um, um, Citra hops in the forefront with uh, Mosaic and Galaxy. So Laser Kitten is really super citrusy, super tropical, a lot of like stone fruit character in it, uh, but, but a little more maybe a little more drinkable at 6% ish alcohol, uh, than a, than an Imperial. So those are the ones that are, that are really out there. Um, there's a couple, most of our, uh, seasonal kind of rotational brands, uh, haven't really settled into a permanent rotation. We've been experimenting a bit with different beers at different times of year as kind of one-offs here and there. And, um, you know, we'll just kind of see what sticks as we, as we progress, but, um, we'll be brewing um, a beer called Rapid Refresh. That might be one of the next seasonals you see in stores. That'll be coming out kind of uh, maybe within the next month. Um, and that is just kind of a light-bodied American wheat ale made with a ton of orange and lemon zest. Just a really kind of crisp, refreshing, you know, kind of really crushable, crushable beer. So looking forward to getting that one back out. Definitely looking forward to trying that one as well. Now, a lot of your names, you know, you're kind of uh, in multiple different locations here with uh, Medusa, for example. Some of them seem to follow along with that mythology. And then I've seen mm -hmm. other ones like Laser Cat, for example. Where does the uh, methodology behind the names come from? Like, where did Laser Cat come from? What's the story behind that? Yeah, that that's a weird one. Um, it, 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 Laser Cat started as a, an April Fool's Day joke um, when we were getting the brewery. Um, in the planning stages, we um, uh, had to do a, a signage review with the historical commission since we're right in the center of Hudson. So anything you do on the exterior of your building kind of has to get an approval to make sure it's not too peculiar for, for the center of town. And um, so we had a mock-up of our, of our building uh, with our signage that we had planned on using. And just as a sort of internal joke, I had photoshopped a, a dumb internet cat with giant lasers shooting out of its eyes. And I was like, we got approved, you know, this is the front of our building. And we put that on social media, just kind of as a joke and people just seemed to really enjoy it. And it got 
like a, an astonishing amount of, of activity and traction compared to prior social media posts. And a lot of people were like, oh, you got to make a laser cap beer. You got to make a laser cap beer. And eventually down the road, when we finally got open and finally got access to some more interesting hops, because we actually opened kind of on the tail end of like a hop availability crisis. So it was kind of hard to get some of your classic, you know, things that we take for granted now, like Citra. Um, we finally got a ton of Citra. We made this kind of big giant um, sort of double IPA and it just made sense for that to be laser cut. And we kind of went with it and years and years later, we're still making it. It still seems to be our, our number one beer. So <laughs> it's great that that one ended up having that awesome story tied to it. And it's one in the core line of it's going to be enshrined with the brewery forever. That, you know, is something that <laughs> will live on. Yeah, it's um, as for most of our names, we don't we don't have like we make a lot of different beers. We, we've literally made hundreds of beers since we've opened and we try not to stress uh, a lot of cohesion in the naming conventions of it. Uh, there's certain things that I, I kind of go back to. I'm a big fan of um, weird turns of phrase or archaic expressions or words that aren't, aren't in use anymore. There's some definitely some um, mythological and kind of folklore type stuff that, that crops up a lot. But at the end of the day, we look at a beer and its name and its branding. And uh, the question we ask ourselves, like, is this fun? And that's usually the question we're trying to answer when we name something. And if the answer is it's not fun, then we we'll probably try to find another name for it or something else that that is interesting, um, as opposed to making sure that, you know, we're using every every monster from Greek mythology to try to tie in with, with, you know, um, you know, Medusa and have giant, you know, Grecian columns in our tap room. And that, that just feels like it would get old really quick. So we try not to worry too much about that sort of thing. It can make marketing interesting when you're trying to present a, a cohesive brand on like a store shelf um, that, that can be a challenge. So, but at the same time, we don't want it to, be something that somebody glances at and keeps walking because it's boring so it definitely works because that's how i found out about medusa in the first place i was walking through a store shelf i saw a laser cat and i think i might have seen laser kit in there i was like wow that's awesome cool labels obviously uh, we talked a little bit about that in person with the uh the artwork behind the labels the cans mm. really jump out at you even this lola one where it's uh, a little bit more simple kind of as like the hawaiian lettering just like a nice blue it's just a beautiful can uh it just yes. jumps out at you on the shelf <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, just, we, we try to let the art um, have a, a, you know, as you, when you look at our cans, you'll see that our actual brewery name is not particularly prominent on the front of the can, um, you know, which is maybe not the greatest, uh, you know, marketing uh, effort if you're trying to get your name out there. But at the same time, we figure if you put something interesting on the can people will look at it and they will see your name <laughs> whereas if you know another brand is the, if their can is 90 percent their logo you might just kind of move on you're like oh i know those guys or you know whatever i'll look at something else oh that that over there is really shiny <laughs> take a look at that instead so that that's kind of been our approach for a long time we like to play around with the art we use we've used a lot of different artists um some in-house people uh, my, even myself i've done a few can labels uh, our sales manager has done a few um we've used local tattoo artists to you know work on our uh, projects for us it's it's just kind of we just try to have fun with it because there's a lot of people out there making art and uh you know we can kind of diversify and make it interesting 
I mean, the labels are definitely fun. I'm guilty of walking into a store and picking something based on what it looks like. Uh, you know, don't mm -hmm. judge a book by its cover. Not always accurate for me, that's for sure. Um, but your team in general just seems like a really fun group. I think everyone seems very passionate and excited about what they're doing. It's it speaks volumes, I think, about what you do, you know, obviously about what who your team is and just even everybody that, you know, I've seen on social media and just my friend that lives in the area just seems like everyone knows who you guys are and has nothing but positive things to say. So outside of beer, it seems like you as a group are just really great people. <laughs> yeah, we're we're really lucky because we, we've, we've got um, a decent amount of longevity with a lot of our employees. Um, I think I, I told you that my my two brewers that, that work with me, um, you know, both started out as bartenders when we opened and we slowly over time kind of migrated them into helping out in the brewery to the point where they were, um, you know, uh, became full-time brewers in there with me. And to the point where uh, the beer that you mentioned earlier, Standard Nerd, which is a, a, the ESB made with Earl Grey tea, you know, that's their recipe. Um, pretty much whole completely they they whipped that one up and ran it by me and we we uh we made it so uh, a lot of our bartenders have been with us for a long time some of some of them have been with us since the day we opened um and usually if someone does unfortunately leave us it's because they're you know moving or going to school or doing something completely different with their lives and you know they didn't leave because they wanted to necessarily so uh, we like we like being that kind of employer yeah, that's awesome. And one fun question before we wrap. It's the end of the day, you're going home, you're just going to relax, you're kicking back, you get a beer, and you have one thing you get to pick to watch. Maybe it's a movie, maybe it's a show that you really like. What are, what's your choice? Oh, boy. Um, well, beer, um, you know, obviously, you know, we love our own beer. But as I've mentioned, you know, my, my favorite non-Medusa beer is probably Bell's Two-Hearted. I, I almost always have that kicking around the house. Um, and lately, uh, since I have two kids who are uh, five and nine, I've had amazingly little time to like watch television shows in general. And so my, my wife and I are trying to catch up on, you know, all of this Star Wars stuff that has come out in the past couple of years, you know, like all this like Mandalorian and there's a Boba Fett show and an Obi-Wan show. And it's just like, wow, where'd all this come from? And we can just kind of sit there. And if we're lucky, we get through, you know, one episode a week with the schedule we have. But uh, that's kind of what we've been chipping away at. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. The dump, I've been watching all that stuff as well. And I just started, I didn't even know they released the new season of Mandalorian until a week yeah. ago. And I have friends like, hey, have you been catching up on it? It's like, no, how much have I missed? Luckily, it was only a couple episodes, but... A lot of them are only like 30 minutes, but I definitely enjoy diving into that stuff as well. But it's a lot of fun. Nice, good thing to jump in and unwind. And I think with it, there's a lot of nostalgia that plays into it, too. I know oh, for, for sure. myself, uh, especially when like the newer movies were coming out, you go to the movie theaters and then the intro, it's always the same music stars. It's like it just hits you right at home. It's a excellent thing to unwind and watch at the end of the day, for sure. No, oh, for sure. I, I think I, I the first movie came out the year I was born. Um, so I really grew up with that stuff and uh, they used to re-release them in theaters constantly. So it was like a thing that you just, and if you wanted to see it, that was the only way you were going to see it. It was go to a, a re-showing of it somewhere, you know, until, until we got VHS <laughs> later on. Yeah, exactly. I know for me, it was uh, the prequels in theaters and then the rest of them on VHS was basically how I 
got started mm-hmm. in it, but uh, for sure, it's a lot of fun. Well, thank you again so much for taking the time to come on tonight. Uh, we had a lot of fun visiting you at the brewery, getting to know you in person, and then meeting you and following up on the podcast here. So can't wait to try some of the other beers that you have in the pipeline here and just see what you have coming out here in the future and talking again. Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks for reaching out to us. We're certainly always happy to to talk about what we do and share that. Absolutely, Keith. Well, again, thank you so much. Cheers. You have a uh, good night. All right. Cheers. You too. uncorkedcorner.com for a taste of more food and beverage content. And if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave a comment, subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Thanks for listening.